0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. All right, if you have a Bible, grab it and go with me to Luke chapter 10. As you're turning there, uh, we are continuing in our Advent series. And if you are unfamiliar with that word, Advent is a Latin word that just means arrival or coming. And so, um, throughout church history for centuries, Christians have set aside the month leading up to Christmas just to focus on and celebrate the first coming of Jesus and to anticipate the second coming of Jesus when he returns to finish everything he inaugurated through his life and his death and his resurrection to rescue us from sin and to make all things new. And so that's what advent is all about. That's what we're focusing on in this series from different angles. And so with that, let's look together in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 38. If you will go there with me, Luke 10:38. Luke says, "Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching." But Martha was distracted by much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Would you join me? Let's just go to the Father and pray together one more time. Father, I do pray and echo Chris's prayer that you would limit, remove all distractions. Uh, We are easily distracted by phones and um, feedback from, you know, sound systems and uh, crying babies and all sorts of things, our to do lists that are running wild in our minds what we're going to have for lunch, uh, what we ate last night that's jacking with us this morning, like we're just distracted people. And so I just pray that the peace of Christmas, the peace of Jesus would settle in, calm our hearts, and open up our imaginations to see your wild pursuit of us and your crazy love for us. And I pray that you would bring us into a life-changing experience with Jesus this morning. I pray that you would help us to hear his voice, his call upon our lives, and awaken repentance and faith. Um, And I pray that we would put our hope in him ultimately. Pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory and for our joy. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, a few of you know that back in the day I was in a band in my early 20s called windowpane action figure I think I have a picture of that maybe yep So there's the boy that carrie fell in love with uh, right there And so the guy sitting to uh, my right you might recognize that's joey cook my brother-in-law who has preached here before And so back in the day we were in a band together and uh, that band hasn't played together since December 13th of 2003 so 15 years ago We played together and uh, fast forward 15 years to this past Thanksgiving uh, Joey and I were sitting around my house and we get a text from a mutual friend who's in another band And he says hey, man, I've got this crazy idea. We're playing a show on December 14th um, Friday night, December 14th at Stickies in downtown Little Rock, and we think it'd be a great idea if windowpane action figure got back together and played a 15-year reunion show. And without any hesitation or thinking about this at all, we said, yes, like we're in. And and like we're so excited about it, um, all in, we said, as long as you guys open for us, we'll play. They said, no. We said, cool, we'll open for you and we'll play like we're, we're all in. Um, and, and, and before we know it, we're committed to this, like no thought about it, no hesitation. And as soon as we said yes, we were like, what, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? Like we have not played together in 15 years. I literally don't remember how to play the songs. Like I have no idea of the lyrics to my own songs. Can't remember them. Our drummer lives in Florida so, I mean, like, what are we doing? How do we say yes to this? And, uh, which by the way, our very own Breck Rushing, who plays, plays today, plays almost every Sunday on our worship team. He said, man, I'd love to be a part of wind up action figure. And we said, you're hired. So, um, so Breck joins the band and, and, and we said, we're doing this, uh, But immediately, like, we're all looking at our schedules, we're all adults now, and like we have zero time to rehearse. And here's why. Because from Thanksgiving to Christmas in our culture, Thanksgiving to January really is absolutely insane, right? Like this is the busiest time of the year. So there's Christmas parties to attend, there's cooking and cleaning and hosting and last-minute gift shopping, and you've got to like prepare yourself to be around dysfunctional people that you don't like to be around. And by the way, if you're like the person in the room who says, like, my family unit's perfect you're the guy, like, you're the one that everybody's like, I've got to prepare my heart to be around this person, because they're going to invade my space, and I can't breathe around them, so like, it's all, it's crazy, right, and then I've got like, you know, deadlines, and, and end of the year projects I'm trying to wrap up at work, and on top of that, I got all my normal responsibilities as a disciple, and a husband, and a dad, and a pastor, and so like, why Did I say yes to another thing? And like a big thing. I mean, if you know anything about stickies, this is the biggest, like the best venue our band's ever played. And so I said yes to something really big. And um, I get down to, to Little Rock this past Friday night. We go to do a sound check, and this is the first time, the night of the show, the day of the show, this is the first time that our whole band has rehearsed together. Like which is crazy. And so this is our one shot to, like, get this down and nail it. And, and we come together, and we're, we're about to rehearse just a couple hours before the show. And I go to get my guitar, and I don't have it. Like, it's not in the car. It's nowhere to be found. I go up to Breck, and I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't have my guitar. And Breck's like, what do you mean you don't have your guitar? Like, that's the one thing you were asked to bring. Like, the one thing you need, you didn't bring. And I just, I have this wave of panic hit me of like, holy cow, man, I don't have a guitar. Like, I didn't bring it with me. Like, I was so busy and so distracted by everything else on my plate, especially this time of year, that like the one thing I need to bring the most, I don't have. And so, here I am, only shot to rehearse, just before the show, guitarless. So I texted Chris Rose because he was texting with me last night asking me how the show went. And I texted him and I told him what happened. And I'm actually going to read to you what he texted me because it was profound and encouraging and funny. And so here's what Chris said. He said, It's amazing how busy and distracted we are even forgetting the most important things. We've all left our guitar behind at least once. And so, thankfully, man, you know, Joey's the local guy. He's got some connections, so he hooks me up with another guitar, and the show goes on, and we melted faces. And so, um, (laughs) here's the reason why I share that with you. Chris Rose is right. This story highlights a problem. We have a problem. There's a a problem that's plaguing my life. There's a problem that's plaguing all y'all's lives, and it's a problem that is definitely plaguing our culture at large. And the problem is this. We are, in general, so crazy busy, so distracted, and in such a hurry all the time that we forget the most important things in life. And according to Jesus in Luke chapter 10, in our busyness and our hurry and distraction, we neglect what he calls the one thing necessary. Like the one thing that your soul needs in order to live in your busyness, you look over it and you neglect it. And so Jesus actually invites us to see that in our busyness, we're doing violence to our souls. Now, before I say anything else, let me prepare you. This is going to be a little bit of an extended introduction. okay? Because I've got some things I need to say before we jump into the text. I want to share a fear I have with you before I go any further. And my fear is this. I've wrestled with God a lot this week in prayer about this, and I've talked to some different people about it. My fear is that this sermon is going to fall flat, and it's going to sound like a broken record because you've heard all this before. Like, we, we know that we are over overcommitted, overextended, committed and we know we're all addicted to our phones. We've told you that a lot this year. So we've said that from this stage many times. We've preached a lot of sermons around this idea of hurry. And so my fear all week has been that, that you're going to tune out because you've heard this before. And that fear led to a greater fear that we all have as pastors, which is... The fact that we are actually tuning this out, that we're not listening to this, and I put myself in that category. Listen, there, there, there's a reason why, the reason why you need to lean forward and listen to this is because there's a reason why sociologists and cultural commentators are saying that right now, the primary addiction epidemic in America is not an addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography. It is an addiction to busyness and distraction always on the go, always thinking about work, always thinking about what we have to do next, what I got to get done. Any downtime we have, we grab our phones because we cannot just stop and be still. And you do not have to be a psychologist whose job it is to study the soul. You don't have to be a psychologist to understand the damage this is doing to our souls. As a whole, Americans are emotionally more anxious and more burned out than any other people on the planet. But it's not just our emotional life that's at stake here, as if that isn't enough. Jesus says, it's your spiritual life that is in danger. Um, In his book, Sacred Fire, Ronald Rollheiser says it like this. He writes, we are distracting ourselves into a spiritual oblivion. I love this phrase. Our pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are the primary blocks to experience in the life we were made for. And Christians are in no way excused from this critique. Um, Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston School of Business, he did a survey just of Christians. 20,000 Christians in the United States. He studied the same 20,000 Christians. He studied for over a few-year period. And he identified busyness as the number one major problem in spiritual life in the church. Listen to his summary from a multiple-year survey. Zigarelli says this. Put it on the screen for you. It may be the case that, number one, Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, number two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, number three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, number four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, number five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and the cycle begins again. And now he writes in this survey that pastors are the worst, by the way. Right up there, he says, with doctors and lawyers, not me or Jared and Luke, but other pastors, (laughs) are really, really struggle with this. He says pastors are the worst. And we're leading, we're discipling people in this way of being. And it's killing our souls. And we're sorry for that. We're working on that, by the way, aren't we? We're working on that. Zigarelli is summing up the problem. The problem is that for many, if not most of us, our lives are so hurried, so crammed full of activity that we have rejected God and pushed him to the margins. And that's a problem that goes back to the first Christmas story. When Jesus is born, he's put in a barn. Why? Because Luke says there's no room for him. Like the whole city is so crammed full of activity, so so busy, so distracted, nobody's paying attention, so God, the King of Kings, gets marginalized, rejected, and pushed into a smelly stable. And Luke wants us to see that's a picture of our lives. Every nook and cranny is so full. Every space is so filled up. that Just like the innkeepers of Bethlehem, we are effectively shutting him out, and we're telling him, we have no room for you in our lives. This is why Dallas Willard, as we've quoted before, he says, look, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. You've got to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. What I want to talk about this morning is how do you do that? How do you restructure your life in 2019 and be a different person from this point on? You've got to do it. How do you do it? Because see, here's, this, this is the big idea I want to wrestle with. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus has come to invade your space. That's what he's come to do. He's come to invade your space and rescue you from the idol of busyness and give you the one thing that your soul most desperately needs. In order for us to experience that, the key, however, is we've got to learn to slow down and restructure our lives around what he calls the one thing necessary. So let's talk about that. Go with me. Let's go back to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 38. Here's what uh, Luke says. He says... As they went on their way, Jesus enters this town, and there's a woman named Martha there, and she's being nice, and she welcomes him into her house. And she's got a sister named Mary. Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet. She's listening to him. Martha is distracted in the kitchen with much serving. And uh, she went up to Jesus, and she says, "'Lord, do you not care that my sister has abandoned me? Tell her to get up and help me.'" And the Lord answers her, "'Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about so many things.'" Now let's stop right there for just a second. Right away, Luke wants us to see that he's drawn a contrast between these two sisters. Mary and Martha, okay? Jesus and, B- and Luke both want us to see that these two sisters represent uh, two different basic approaches to life. You have the Martha way and you have the Mary way. And the first thing I want to do is I just want to examine this comparison and I want you to think about which one of these categories you fall in. Are you more like Mary or are you more like Martha? Okay, so I'm going to put this contrast on the screen for you. If you're looking in the story, you have Mary, who at least in this moment is all about being with Jesus. She's sitting in the living room. She's got her Bible and her journal, and she's just soaking up his presence, right? Right? Like You get the idea that she's the kind of person who she's all about getting up early in the morning, grabbing her coffee, grabbing her journal, and she's all about getting her time in the Word and in prayer and just, just spending quality time with Jesus. Mary's all about being. While Mary's about being, her sister Martha, on the other hand, is all about doing. This girl is about getting things done. You kind of get the idea that Martha's the kind of person who uh, puts things on her list that she's already accomplished, just so she can cross it off and see that it's done, right? Like she's that kind of person. And, and, you know, she hears that Jesus is coming over and she's like, I got to clean the house. You're going to be able to eat off the floor, like throw pillows and throw blankets are on point for Jesus. House plants are flourishing. Joanna Gaines would be so proud. Like Martha's killing it. And now She's in the kitchen, like whipping up this, like, I don't know, pioneer woman recipe or something like she's, she's going to do the dishes and the laundry next. Like she's killing it. Martha Stewart, right? She's like, she's all about it. She's all about doing, this is what I got to get done back to Mary. Mary is concerned about her relationship with Jesus. She's thinking, how can I squeeze in more time with Jesus? How can I grow to be more aware of his presence? How can I deepen in my trust and my affections for him? She's consumed with the relationship. Martha, on the other hand, is consumed with her responsibilities. All the things that she's got to do or else they won't get done. Like, like this is a real problem, right? There's things on your plate that you've got to do or they're not going to get done. And, and Martha's in the kitchen. She's like, if Jesus wants to eat, this meal's not going to cook itself. Like, somebody's got to stand in here and chop the vegetables and get the water boiling and, like, prep the fish. Like, we can sit and talk later, Jesus. Like, it's, it's responsibility first, relationship second for Martha. Mary's the kind of person who lives with a full heart, while Martha's the kind of person who's driven by a full schedule. If you ask Martha how she's doing, she's going to say, say the same thing that every one of you say, and what I say when somebody asks me how I'm doing, busy. Oh, this week is slammed. Really, you say that every week? Well, that's, it, that's the truth. It's slammed. And I do that to myself. And she's a multitasker. As you get the idea she's just a... Like, if, while you're talking to her, she's texting and responding to five other people, so she's having six meetings at once. Like, that's the kind of person her life is crammed full. Notice in the story, Mary is still. Mary has come to a complete stop, while Martha is hurried, She's the kind of person who can't stop, can't sit still, can't relax. She's go, 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 go. Mary, in the story, is listening. She's taking in the words of Jesus. Martha is talking. She's barking orders from the kitchen. Mary is focused. Luke says in verse 40, Martha is distracted. All she can think about are all the things that she needs to do or do better. She's managing and controlling all the things that, so she, to make sure she doesn't fail. And finally, last thing we see is that Mary is obsessed about one thing. But Jesus says in verse 41 that Martha is worried about many things. There are a million things on her mind, on her plate, and she, can't, she just can't turn it off. And she can't put it down. So let's be honest with ourselves for a second. Okay, this is a safe place. Nobody's going to shame you here. Uh, Raise your hand if on most days you resonate more with Martha than you do with Mary. Okay, by far the majority of the room. I totally resonate with Martha. Every personality test I take tells me that I have a busy, worried mind, and that I love to carry a lot of responsibility because it gives me more things to worry about. And that's just the way that I'm wired. And so I get it. I get Martha. Like I get the, the weight of having much to do and I, I get the tension and the pressure and the stress and anxiety that comes from work and deadlines and parenting and paying bills and like all the stuff that I have to do. And so um, just to be clear, I'm not slamming Martha. I love Martha. And 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 I, I feel like it's easy for us to pick on her, but if we're being honest, how many of you in the room would be freaked out if you're in her situation? Like you, you would be freaked out, man. Like if you hear that Jesus is coming to town And normally, he's got a posse of like 80 or 100 people with him, and he needs a place to stay, and then he shows up at your house unannounced on short notice. Like, you'd be like, Jesus can't come in here. I haven't had a shower. Like, I'm still in my sweatpants. Like, there's a weird smell in here. we got to get the diffuser going. Like, there's no food to eat. Like, we got I've got to go to the store and get groceries and magic erasers, because there's marker all over the stinking walls and Susanna's face. And like, so what are we doing? There's no way that Jesus can come in here right now. I don't even know what he likes to eat. Like, does he have any food allergies? Is he gluten-free? Probably not. I've got to make sure that this... Maybe this is just how six thinks, but on the Enneagram, but this is, this is what's going through my mind, okay? And And if I'm a worst-case scenario thinker, and I am, I'm like, I've got to make sure that the fish is cooked thoroughly, because if I poison and kill him, I'm not sure... What that means for the universe, right? So like there's a lot of pressure here on Martha. Take it easy on Martha, everybody. Like this Meanwhile, Mary's in the living room, like just what is she doing? I ridiculous. I understand Martha. And I, you know, I think like on the one hand, I think it's important for us to see that she's not doing anything wicked. All these things that she's doing are good things that have to get done. She's working hard, which is a virtue. Like according to Proverbs, it's a sin to be lazy, y'all. Like you can't be lazy. God has created us to work. It's a good thing. And he calls us to work really hard and be faithful with all that he's commanded us to do. So Like let's before we go too far into her heart. Like let's just acknowledge that she's not necessarily doing anything wrong. So on the surface it looks fine, but clearly she's not okay. Can you see that in the story? Can you hear that? You pick up on that. Like something is obviously going on beneath the soul, uh, beneath the surface in her soul, and it's toxic and it's starting to leak out on the people in the room with her. And you you see the first signs that something is not right back in verse forty. Jesus, uh, Luke says that Jesus is in the middle of teaching and Martha just barges in the room and she interrupts him. And she says, do you not care that my sister has left me alone? Like, tell her to help me. You can can feel her need for control in this. Like, you can feel her anxiety and her rage. Like, she just busts in the room and she's so obsessed with everything that needs to be done that she starts telling Jesus what to do. Jesus, would you stop... Talking to her, like, put the scroll down and tell her to get up and help me. Like, she's frustrated. Jesus, if you would do your job and tell her to do her job, then we could have this knocked out. Like, and then she says, Do you not care? You notice that? She says, Lord, do you not even care? How many of you have felt this way before? Like, I'm in here busting my tail and you guys don't even care. Like, you, there's no thank you. There's no, oh, the house looks great, honey. Not that I've ever heard that before, but it's like, you know, she's just, there's no, like, you guys don't, aren't pulling your weight. Do you not care? And so when you take a closer look at Martha's life, you see that her inner person is irritable. She's touchy. She's grouchy. She's cranky. She's anxious. She's quick-tempered. Emotionally, she's miserable. She's miserable on the inside. She's miserable to be with. Like, relationally, she's not on good terms with her sister, And as if those things aren't bad enough, Jesus wants us to see that her spiritual life, her soul is in danger here. Because look at what he says next in verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're so anxious and so troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Like you're doing all these things, but you're neglecting the one thing your soul desperately needs to live. And then look at this next line. Jesus says your sister Mary has chosen the one thing necessary the good portion that will not be taken away from her. So Jesus in true to form is using this brilliant wordplay to get Martha's attention and to get our attention. He says your sister has chosen the good portion. Now, why would that be meaningful to Martha? What has she been doing all day? Cooking, right? And so she, if Jesus is the guest of honor, she's preparing this meal for Jesus and she's getting ready to serve him the good portion, like the best of the best. And Jesus looks at Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, you're trying to give me the good portion. You've missed the whole point, darling. I am the good portion. Like you think that I walked into your house so that you could feed me, but I walked into your house so that I could feed you. You think that I entered into your life so that you could serve me and meet my needs? I'm entering into your life so that I can meet your deepest need. And your sister has chosen the good portion. She's feasting on the bread of life, which Jesus says gives her something that nothing in this world can take away from her. Listen, you've got to pay attention to this. What Jesus wants us to see is that everything we're cramming into our lives and our schedules, even the good things like parenting and working and paying bills and being a friend and like all those good things, all those good things, they're they're good, right? But they can never satisfy the deepest longings and the deepest hunger of your soul because your soul was built for one thing. Your soul was built for one thing. Some of you in this room, I'm not sure where you're at with God. Maybe you're here this morning because you're exploring the reality of God. You're trying to check this out. All you know is there's an there's an ache on the inside. There's some kind of void. There's some kind of itch that you can't, nothing can scratch it. What that is, what that is, is a longing to be with God. That's what Christmas is trying to tell you, by the way. Christmas is telling you the story. It's telling you your story that your soul was built for relationship with God. You were designed for constant connection and communion and close relationship with him, to walk with him, to know him and be known by him, to love him and to be loved by him as your true identity. That's what you're made for. The problem, the bad news is, is that we have all failed to trust in God and we've decided that instead of walking with him, we're going to run at our own pace and we're going, to, we're going to try to do life without him. That's the biblical definition of sin, which often shows up in the form of hurry and busyness. Martha is neglecting the one thing her soul was made for, to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, I've, the, reason I've, the whole reason I've come at Christmas is to bring you into the presence of God and into loving union with God, which is the deepest need of the soul. The problem is her life is so crammed, so jam-packed, so full, that she, she's starving her soul of what it needs to live. She's suffocating her soul, keeping it from what it needs. Um, I was reminded this week, to my shame, of something really dumb that I did in 7th grade. Um, I, and when I was in seventh grade, my grandpa bought me a four-wheeler. And uh, one summer day, my cousin and I wanted to go for a ride, but it was out of gas. We had no gas in his shed. And, and so we, instead of wanting to wait until he gets home to go and get gas, we got the bright idea that maybe if we fill the tank with Mountain Dew, the engine will run. If I'm lying, I'm done. And so <laughs> we took this is so dumb. All this Mountain Dew (laughs) that my grandpa had put it stocked in the fridge for me and my cousins. And we start pouring it into the tank and needless to say, it doesn't work. It also does not make him very happy. Uh, when he comes home and he finds out. And the point of that is man, like it, it, it didn't matter how much Mountain Dew we put in in the tank. The engine only needs one thing. Like it needs gas or it ain't going to work. And, and little did we know, like we're starving, we're starving this engine of the one thing it needs. Not only are we starving it, we're poisoning it. Yeah, yeah, this, this is what a life of hurry and busyness does to the soul. It starves and poisons the soul because functionally, it cuts you off from any awareness of God's presence and His love for you, which is the, the soul's fundamental need. And and Pete Scazzaro compares it to being caught up in a a whiteout of a blizzard. He tells a story and he talks about how in parts of, of Canada and the Great Plains, you get these blizzards that are so bad, you have a whiteout effect where it's snowing so hard and so fast and the wind's blowing so hard you can't see your hand in front of your face. And he talks about how tragically there's several reports of how people froze to death and lost their lives because they were so disoriented, often in their backyards, often just a few feet from the front door, but they're lost and disoriented in the blizzard and they don't know where they are and they can't see, they can't see the salvation that lies right in front of their face. Like, there's the front door, I can't see it, so I freeze to death and I die out here. And Pete Scazzaro says that's what happens in a life of busyness and hurry. You can't see. You can't see God's presence. You can't engage with him. He's he's functionally, he's pushed to the margins. He's rejected. And you see that happening in this story, right? Martha's so swallowed up in the blizzard of her busyness that she has lost sight of God even though he's standing in her living room talking to her. And she can't see it. There's no room for her to see it. And this is why John Ortberg says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because busyness does the same thing sin does. It just cuts you off from life with God. Um, Carl Jung, whose work was uh, used as the, the basis for the Myers-Briggs personality test, he says it like this, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is of the devil. We think the devil shows up like that Will Ferrell skit with Garth Brooks, right, with like the red scaly tail and the cape and all that stuff. No, man, hurry often shows, the devil often shows up just in the form of hurry and busyness. We think we're just doing all the things that we have to get done. All of this brings us to a major problem we face in our discipleship to Jesus and our culture, which is the fact that we live in a Martha culture. And that is, um, as Zigarelli says, discipling us as Christians, and we are participating willingly in it. Uh, America is the most overworked country in the world. Uh, According to the Center for American Progress, Americans work more hours per year than any other country on the planet. We're also the only country whose employers don't mandate paid vacations. Mandate it. Like, you've got to take a paid vacation. We don't do that. If you don't want to take your vacation, you don't have to. Um, we, uh, so they, they measured four different people groups that come from four different places. The, the, the people who work the most and of the top four, we're the, we're, we work more than anybody else. Uh, we, we work 137 hours per year, more than Japanese workers, 260 hours, more hours per year than British workers and 499 more hours per year than French workers. And the average productivity per American worker has increased 400% since 1950. That's because there's a stress and there's a pressure to compete and perform and produce. And so now we work more than we, than we used to, more than we ever have before. And some of us work non-stop. Back in the 90s, you had a thing called an office. It was a physical place where you would go. You had to go there to work. And you would clock in, and when you're done, you'd clock out and you would go home. Nowadays, you carry the office around with you in your pocket. You don't have to go anywhere. Work is with you all the time. You just unlock your phone, boom. There's a text to respond to. There's an email. There's something for you to do. And and so with my phone, it's easy for me uh, to squeeze work into all these little spaces in my life. Like when I wake up in the morning, when I'm supposed to be spending time with Jesus. At night, after the kids go to bed, when I'm supposed to be spending time with my wife. On my day off, when I'm supposed to be resting. While I'm driving, when I'm supposed to be driving and paying attention. Right. And so it allows me to kind of obsessively, compulsively think about work. And all the research shows that that kind of busyness just leads to more stress and an overall lower quality of life. It's just, the proof's in the pudding. It's it's linked to all sorts of health problems, mental and physical, and, and Jesus wants us to see the spiritual damage that it does. And then when we aren't working or parenting or running our kids to practice or whatever, doing the household chores, most of us are so exhausted by the pace of life that when we do get a minute to ourselves, we veg out in front of a screen, right? And we dull our souls with the narcotic of social media or Netflix or Snapchat or Panda Pop or whatever. And so now every space in our life is full. There's no room for the soul to breathe or just be. Back in the '90s, there also used to be a thing called boredom. Um, if you remember that, uh, when you would like stand in the checkout line with nothing else to do, um, or you would, you know, sit at a stoplight and just sit there, or you would wait in a waiting room and you just be alone with yourself, your thoughts and your emotions. And now all those little moments are gone. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. And the problem with that is that all those little moments are little invitations from God. All those little moments are little windows and portals into the presence of God and into prayer and into communion with God and into coming home to yourself and coming back to the presence of God and it's gone. It's gone. And I'm not saying that before 2018 or 19 that we weren't busy and distracted. I'm not saying that things were better in the 90s. Some of the music was better, but that's a different conversation. The point I'm getting at is that something has changed in what it means to be human in the modern Western world, and we have a deep, serious problem. Our default mode is hurry and a denial of our limitations. That's a problem. And so now psychologists are talking about this Martha culture, and they're saying that you know, the mental health professionals are talking about hurry sickness, which is an official diagnosis now. Uh, it is, quote, here's what hurry sickness is. A behavioral pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. And many of you are like, well, I thought that was just life. No, that's sickness. It's a sickness. It's a disease. It's a problem. Psychology today defines it as a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and and gets flustered when encountering any kind of delay. And If you want to know if, if you have hurry sickness, Ruth Haley Barton gives us 10 signs that you're moving through life too fast. This comes from her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Here's how you know you're moving through life too fast. Number one, you're irritable. You Snap at people, frustrated when people get in your way, when somebody's driving too slow. Number two, a hypersensitivity. You get offended really easily. Number three, your life is marked by restlessness. You can't rest you, on your day off. You can't take a day off. You can't calm down. You don't know how to stop. Compulsive overworking, number four. Number five, numbness. Like just don't have emotional capacity, particularly for empathy or compassion. Number six, escapist behavior. Binge watching Netflix, social media, alcohol, work, pornography. Like Number seven, disconnected from our identity and calling. You get so sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, you lose sight of who you are in Christ and of what He's called you to do, like the, the really important things, like Chris Rose said, like the things you've got to be doing. You lose sight of that. Um, number eight, not able to attend to basic human needs like exercise, getting eight hours of sleep, eating properly. Like we have a whole industry called fast food, <laughs> like it. It's, it's, it's wanting us to live in a hurry, right? The culture's pushing us in this direction. Number nine, hoarding energy because you don't have any more to give. And number 10, most important, she says a slippage in spiritual practices. Your prayer life goes away. Sabbath is not a thing. Reading the word, living in community, the very things that make for the best part of your life are the first to go away. And the first time I read this, I was like seven for 10. Just to be transparent with you. So, clearly, we have a problem with busyness. And the solution is not more time. (laughs) So, I'm tempted to think if I had four more hours in a day, I could do all the things I need to do, and then I could rest. The truth is, if I had more time, I'd do what I already do, and I would cram it full of more stuff, more work, more distractions. And the truth is, listen to me, if you're Martha, you're never going to get everything done that's on your list. And if Jesus is last, you'll never get to him. You'll never get done all the things you need to do. You'll never be able to experience every opportunity that awaits you. And if Jesus is last on your list, you'll never get to him. And that will destroy your soul. And so in order for us to experience the life Jesus offers at Christmas, the life he's inviting you to now, we've got to learn to prioritize our lives around the good portion. Like, we've got to learn in the midst of all the other things we have to do that aren't going away, we've got to learn how to center our lives around the one thing necessary, which is being with Jesus. And so on a practical level, how do we do this? Like, how do we do this in our culture? Okay, I want, I want to close here. Give me a couple more minutes or a few more minutes. Um, the only way you can do this is by adopting a core practice that you see in the life of Jesus, and Mary is modeling it for us in this story. So look back at verse 30, 39 as we get ready to close here. Luke says this He says, And Martha had a sister called Mary, and what's Mary doing? Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's quiet. And remember that Jesus says, this is how you get the good portion, right? This is, this is how you get the good portion that can't be taken away from you. You sit at the feet of Jesus, and you be quiet, and you be still. And what Mary is modeling for us is what has come to, has come to be known as the practice or the discipline of silence and solitude. We've talked about this a lot this year. You, it's, it's like the gospel because it's part of the gospel. You can't talk about this enough. Silence and solitude, if we're going to define it, is intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and alone with God. And Christians throughout the centuries have called this the secret to a life well lived. And you see this in Jesus' life all over the four gospels. If you, if you look at Jesus, he was extremely active, but he was never hurried. And it's not that he was lazy, he had the hardest job in the world, which is being the Messiah, and he, was, he worked long, difficult, hard days, he was always on high demand, people always needing his attention, but you see this pattern, where the busier Jesus became, the more he would, he would withdraw and retreat and unplug and get time alone, away from all the distraction and all the chaos, to be alone with his Father. And Jesus not only models this for us, he mandates it, like it's a command, it's, it's it's crucial to your discipleship. And he says in places like Matthew 6, 6, you've got to go away and find a secret place to come and sit at my feet or you'll die. Like you've got to find a way to get, get a secret, secret place and come and sit at my feet. And that's the place where the real Jesus meets the real you, by the way. He, he, it's hard to encounter him in the busyness and the chaos because you cut him off. But it's in the stillness and the silence and the solitude where like all your emotions begin to come to the surface and God meets you there. In the fear, in the guilt, in the shame, in the disappointment, in the anxiety, in the gratitude, in the confusion, God meets you in those places and you begin to experience rest for your soul. And you have your life and your identity re centered on His love for you, and it feeds and it nourishes your soul. It gives you the good portion so how do you do this? How do, how do we incorporate this life of, of Mary? This, how do we adopt the Mary way, a life of sitting at the feet of Jesus? Well, if I was going to move from 30,000 feet and give you some really practical bu- notes, nuts and bolts, let me do that really quickly. A couple things, they all start with S because I'm neurotic and I had to make that work. And so hopefully it makes it easier for you to remember. If you're taking notes and I encourage you to do it, here we go. How do you practice silence and solitude? You'll never do it if you don't schedule it. It'll never happen. Um, If you don't schedule it, it won't happen. You've got to put on your calendar five or ten minutes. Start small. Like, there's grace and there's room to grow in this um, if you give yourself room. Five or ten minutes in the morning on your lunch break, whatever, point is you've got to schedule it. Number two, you've got to make space for this. You can't cram spending time with Jesus into your already busy life. Like, instead of cramming Jesus in, you've got to carve out space for him. My favorite Christmas hymn is Isaac Watts' um, Let, you know, uh, Joy to the World. And in that song, he, he has that line where he says, Let every heart prepare him room. I love that line. Because I think what Watts understands is that you can't manufacture intimacy with God. You have to make room for intimacy with God to be cultivated. And that's what your soul needs. And so instead of cramming, you've got to do some carving. The question you have to ask yourself is, what can I carve out of my life to make space to be with Jesus? To prioritize around the good portion. Maybe it's 30 minutes of Netflix. Maybe it's deleting the Facebook or Instagram app from your phone. Like, I don't know. It's not about legalism. It's about life. So you figure it out. What are you going to cut out of your life? Um, Third, whenever you do finally get in your place with Jesus, you're going to need a little bit of structure. I find that it's helpful to have a little bit of structure. So here's what I do. I know Jared does this, and Luke, we try to practice this as pastors in our own life. First thing you've got to do when you get into your space with Jesus is you've got to get still, okay? You've got to put, that means you stop doing stuff. You put down your list, you put down your phone, and you, you just, you be still. You don't, you practice not doing anything. It's awesome. Just, you've got to be still. Second, you've got to center. That actually starts with a C, by the way. Um, but you've got to center your heart and mind on Jesus. So the way I do this is take some deep breaths, right? God, you're here. Help me be here with you because I got a million things on my mind right now. So help me be here with you. And you recenter like your mind's going to drift and you're going to get distracted. That's OK. That's normal. God's not going to punish you for that. He's not mad at you for that. So you just you continue to just kind of practice centering your, your soul on the presence of Jesus with you. And then after doing that for some time, you want to listen to him in the scriptures. That's what Mary's doing, right? She's listening to him teach. And so you want to take, read a psalm or take a paragraph from the New Testament, start in John or something like that, and just read a paragraph and say, Lord, what do you have for me here? What are, you, what are you trying to say to me? Sometimes it's a big lightning bolt thing, and most of the time it's not. That's okay. You're making room to hear from God. You're practicing that. Um, and then after, after listening to God in the scriptures, move into a time of sharing your heart with him. What do you want to talk to him about? What are you worried about? What are you afraid of? What do you have to do today that scares you? What, do you, what doctor's appointment, what news are you afraid of getting back, right? Like who in your life is hurting and suffering and you need to pray for them? Like just share your heart with him. And it can be 30 minutes. It can be three hours. It can be two minutes. Like you, you decide this. Everybody's different. The point is you've got to do this. Um, next thing is I would say you're going to need to slow down the overall pace of your life. If you want to do this, you're going to have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And one way to do that is to kind of schedule two or three stops throughout your day. Just for 60 seconds. I'm going to stop at noon. I'm going to stop at two 30. And I'm just going to recenter on the fact that God is with me and he loves me. I'm just going to remember that for a second. And then I'm going to go about my day. Okay. Just slow down the overall pace of your life. And then Finally. Remember that the goal is not just to have a quiet time, but the goal is to savor being with Jesus. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of verse 39 when he's talking about Mary. He says, Mary sat before the master hanging on every word, he said. She's not in a hurry. She's letting herself take in and chew on and savor the good portion and if I were to give you one more S, I would say don't shame yourself because this is going to take practice. Okay? The, the, that's okay. I mean, the, like the good news is Jesus is calling you to practice this, not perfect this. And the reason he calls you to practice this, this is what's the most mind-blowing thing about this, this whole story. The reason Jesus calls you to do this and implement this in your life is not only because your soul longs to be with him, but he longs to be with you. Jesus is missing Martha. Can you feel that in the story? Like, Martha, 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 come be with me. He's missing her. He loves her. He longs to be with her. He doesn't come at her with shame and condemnation. He comes at her with an invitation. And that's how he comes to you. Jesus loves you and wants to be with you. And what the Christmas story tells us and what we celebrate every week at this table is that God loves you so much that he will stop at nothing to come and rescue you and bring you into his presence and give you the one thing that nothing can, nothing can take away from you, which is his love and his, his presence. And so Jesus comes and lives the life we failed to live, and he goes from the cradle to the cross, and he gives his life for us to reunite us to God. We celebrate that every week uh, as a church by partaking in communion. And the way we do that is you simply tear a piece of bread off and you dip it into the cup. This meal represents, the bread represents his body broken for us. His, the cup is his blood shed for us to pay for our sin and to rescue us back to God. And so um, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Just kind of keep your heart engaged in this moment. Now would be an easy time to get distracted. As our servers come forward, we have four stations where you can come and take communion. We have uh, one on each side of me and then uh, back in the room on each side. And we have a gluten-free option over here to my left and your right. And so what I want to do is I just want to pray uh, for you and and ask God to prepare your heart. I want to say this, if you're in this room and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you wouldn't say that you have actually received the gift of Christmas. You haven't received Jesus into your life. His invitation is open to you this morning. He is calling you to, to lay down your attempts at doing life without Him and to answer your soul's call for the love of God and to come and put your trust in Him. And our prayer is that you would do that. And if you want to talk more about that, I mean, Jared is here. I am here. Are you okay? is here. is here, and we're here with you. We love you. Um, and so, man, we would love to talk to you about that or pray with you. So let's, let's just go to the Lord now and let's pray. Father, we ask that you would um, invade our space. We ask that you would awaken us to our need for you. We ask that you would call us home to you. We ask that you would help us to come not in shame, but in total freedom, because your love sets us free. Um, you came to set us free from everything from which the law couldn't free us, including our busyness. And so we just ask that we would come to you now and experience more of the life that you've created us for. We ask in Christ's name, amen.